Is Aaron Ashby the top pitching prospect in baseball? And who should we be viewing as contenders for the next best pitching prospect? We'll be answering these questions during today's episode of Fantasy Baseball, Prospects, and more, joined by RotoWire's James Anderson, who I know has some thoughts on Ashby in particular. James, if you don't mind just starting the show with some of those Ashby thoughts up front. Sure thing. Uh, I think Ashby has sort of a perfect pitch mix, uh, and he has opportunity, um, and he's he's got a bit of a track record in the big leagues. You know, part of the, the appeal is just the fact that we're talking about a lefty with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball and two-plus secondary pitches, in, in my estimation, in the slider and changeup. And the slowest of those pitches is his 84-mile-an-hour slider. And the slider and changeup kind of play perfectly off the fastball with, um, you know, the, the they each kind of cross each other over the plate if you're looking at, like, an overlapping view of all his pitches. And it just doesn't give hitters any time to make a decision when the slowest pitch is 84, the fastest pitch is 97 and all three of them can generate swings and misses in the zone, out of the zone. Uh, and it, it leads to a lot of whiffs. It leads to a lot of weak contact. Uh, his ground ball rates have always been really elite. Um, and I think, you know, he couldn't be in a better situation in terms of the Brewers track record of getting the most out of guys like this. So, uh, I just think there's a ton to like. Um, he's, you know, I, I prefer Shane Boz to him, but you know, that's that's about it. I think Ashby's just a a really really impressive pitcher. I was definitely going to mention the the Brewers' recent track record of just developing whoever, whether it's a reliever or a starter. You know, Josh Hader and Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta this year. It's uh, what they've been doing. They they definitely it gives you optimism in what they're going to do with someone like Ash Ashby who just has really good stuff. Can you talk about your thoughts on Ashby and, and how his place as someone who's already appeared in the major leagues, who appears destined for a big league role in 2022 and how that kind of contrasts to someone even like Mason Rodriguez, who we haven't seen yet in the majors and who still seems to be a bit away in, in some of these other younger pitchers and the lower minors and, you know, just kind of why Ashby might rise up your prospect rankings or, you know, dynasty rankings in that sense. Yeah, I, I just think that um, Ashby's upside, I think, is maybe slept on a little. And like, so people will say, well, you know, how how could you have him over Grayson, like even accounting for the proximity? Uh, I mean, I don't. I honestly don't think there is that big of a gap, if there is even a gap between Rodriguez's upside and Ashby's upside. And so the fact that he's healthy, he's set to open the air in the majors, he has shown that he can have immediate success against big league hitters. Um, it's just, I, I don't know what there is to point at that would be any sort of reason to not like Aaron Ashby, whereas like with Grayson, He's excellent, and then it's just a matter of is he going to be healthy when he's ready to debut, and is he going to have any growing pains against big league hitters? Uh, I would say the odds are he will be healthy, and the odds are he will have success right away, but we don't know those things to be true. We're talking with James Anderson of Rotowire. He can be found on Twitter at Real JR Anderson. 
James, one thing I really appreciate about the work you do is that you're not afraid to go out and, you know, take a stance. And instead of, you know, having your prospect rankings being extremely similar to the industry consensus, just because you might, you know, want to want to keep it in line, you will go out and say, you know, I'm really high on Aaron Ashby, even above someone like Grayson Rodriguez, which you don't, that's not a ranking that we we've seen in a lot of other places. Since you kind of took the stance on Ashby in particular, I love Ashby as well. I've seen a lot more love for him. So I think your message might be getting across to people, one, on Ashby in particular, but then two, in the greater sense of, and this is something that kind of a wave that we've seen among prospect folks recently, and especially as it relates to Dynasty Fantasy Baseball Leagues, is just that the extra value that people seem to be placing on proximity right now. Yeah, you know, I for me it's just been kind of a an evolution and uh I think you you have to always be trying to get better uh as a evaluator as a ranker, uh you should be trying to learn from uh mistakes you've made in the past and uh I've just really <clears throat> over the years of and doing this as as long as I have, I've really kind of accepted the fact that you should not expect any pitching prospect who does not have at least upper level experience to have success in the majors. And you shouldn't necessarily even expect that pitching prospect to be healthy uh, long enough to have success in the majors. It's just, you know, that old adage of there is no such thing as a pitching prospect. I mean, that's kind of tongue in cheek, but um, you know, just there's, there's such a long history of the very best, the very most talented pitching prospects at like the age of 20 uh, who have had a ton of success, even as high as double A, just kind of completely flopping uh, for one reason or another. And so I just think that crossing that sort of finish line, getting to the majors, showing that you can have success in the majors, um, even if it's not like uh, consistent success, you know, like, um, guys like Reed Detmers this past year, uh, Trevor Rogers the year before, like they didn't have high or they didn't have low ERAs at the end of their, their debut seasons, but they at least showed for stretches that they could miss bats and uh, limit hard contact. So I just think that that counts for so much more than just somebody taking advantage of high A hitters or double A hitters. The recent track record of the quote unquote best pitching prospect baseball certainly uh, supports your argument. It might be what kind of like led you to to being early on that conclusion, whether it was Alex Reyes, Forrest Whitley, Mackenzie Gore. To me, those are the three that come to mind who were kind of anointed as, you know, these guys are the best pitching prospects. They're rated really highly on Baseball America, on MLB Pipeline. And then, you know, kind of like the bottom fell out for whether it was injury related or just performance related for one reason or another. And you just don't see that as much with, uh, hitting prospects and you know so so at the top you know there's there's Grayson and there's Baz and you know Ashby's climbing his way up there as as well and I'm kind of interested in now starting to take a look at who that who who the next guys are going to be and from a you know if you're playing in a dynasty league and you know you're trading prospects and everything I think the general consensus that most prospect analysts will tell you is you know to try to like trade your pitchers when they're if they're in the low minors and their value is really high because, you know, there's so much more downside, but 
I still think it's a worthwhile exercise because I, I sometimes find we've reached a point where we're just kind of, you know, out on all these pitching prospects. But I still think if you can acquire a pitching prospect who's young and affordable and you kind of see them rise and then you can sell them once they reach Grayson status, I think that that could be a new inefficiency in dynasty leagues that we can start targeting. Yeah, totally. I, I do not think that you can ignore pitching prospects. Like you, you, you can't just be a, I, I only roster hitting prospects. Like that's just not a, um, it's not a sound strategy because at a certain point there's like, a, you know, I'm doing, uh, one of Chris Welsh's, uh, ADP mock drafts right now. There's always like a pocket in those drafts, uh, where, it makes sense to take a pitcher over the hitter. I just think we got to be careful about, you know, we shouldn't be putting someone like a Grayson Rodriguez inside the top 10 of prospect rankings. Um, because that, that just kind of assumes that he's going to uh, develop on kind of a perfect trajectory from here because of how good the, the very best hitting prospects are so good that it's, you know, you have to feel, extremely confident about a pitcher to, to put those ahead of um, those best hitting prospects. It all depends on what kind of dynasty league you play in as well. Whereas if it's, you know, some crazy 24 team league where you're, you're holding, you know, 20 minor league players, then, you know, there's, there's a lot of value placed on you. You can't be churning over your roster as quickly. If it's a little bit shallower, then I think you can put even more emphasis on, you know, someone like, like you said, Detmers or someone like Joe Ryan, who's already reached the major majors and had a little bit of success and you can at least try them out. And if it doesn't work out, you can always then find, you know, the the high A pitcher who is performing well. So uh, for these, I kind of picked out four names here of pitching prospects who I'm interested in and in one level or another. And we're not going too off the beat. We're not going off the beaten path here at all. These guys, you know, are all top hundred prospects, but I, I just kind of wanted to spotlight them as once we get, you know, the graduations of Ashby and Baz and Grayson as, as guys who I think could be kind of like earn that label of the, the next best pitching prospect. At some point, I want to start with Jack later because I know there's also a lot of talk about first year player drafts right now. Where, where does lighter fit into your views on, you know, first year player drafts and then kind of just like the, the greater top hundred prospect conversation as a whole? Yeah. I mean, I, I can say with confidence that I won't end up with Jack lighter in any first year player drafts. I have him ranked 11th um, with 10 hitters ahead of him. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of, along the lines of what we just touched on. Obviously he has a great fastball, um, great pedigree, uh, knows how to pitch, you know, good command. Um, but we, he's never thrown a pitch in a pro game. Uh, his secondaries are sort of good, not great. Uh, I'm not concerned about his size, but you know, he doesn't have, ideal size. I mean, he's not a perfect pitching prospect. We've never seen him pitch professionally. So I don't think we should assume that he's going to be uh, a number two starter or even a number three starter. I think those are outcomes that could happen, but I think they're, I think he's riskier than people are kind of acknowledging at this point. He's interesting in the sense that because he's so famous, he was such a famous college player that his, his value is already 
kind of so high, like you said, before he has even thrown a professional pitch. And if you view it from that sense, there's arguably a lot of downside to be had. Once he, we saw that with Jason Dominguez, once he debuted and it wasn't amazing because he was so famous, the stock kind of just like plummeted a little bit. And uh, that's something that I think could happen with lighter as well, just because again, he, his, his value is just perceived as so high right now because everyone, he's the son of a former big leaguer. Everyone wants to like him. Again, he was dominant at Vanderbilt. His starts became appointment viewing. He's got the electric fastball. He has a lot of the peripheral, uh, you know, qualities that people tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I kind of see it playing out um, in any of three different ways. Like, he he either gets hurt before he gets to the majors and his stock falls. He, I, I do not see him struggling in the minors. Like, I think if he's healthy and he's pitching, he's going to have success at double A. He's going to have success at triple A. Um, but I think he could absolutely struggle initially in the majors. Um, you know, like, I, I think to me at this stage in his development, I think similarly about Jack Leiter as I did about uh, Casey Mize, you know, a few years ago. Um, just a guy who's too talented enough to run into trouble in the minors. Uh, but he could be exposed against big league hitters, and in that case, his value would, would take a tumble. Um, or he could have success in the majors. Like, I think those are the three outcomes. He either gets hurt, he struggles in the majors, or he has success in the majors. And so, I mean, I, I think there's a chance that it, it makes a lot of sense to take lighter <clears throat> early in a first year player draft, especially if pitching is an area of, of weakness for you. But um, there's just, there's ways this could go wrong. Yeah. And I, I think that's like your, uh, you know, overarching point about pitching prospects in general. I want to transition here to George, George Kirby, who has had an interesting development period so far where he came out of college and it was really the control. That's why, he was drafted so high. That's what people. That's why people gravitated towards him. And then we saw the stuff take a huge increase entering 2021, and he did pitch really well. Now he did deal with you know some shoulder tenderness at one point during the season. That again goes to show you the the minor injuries that these young pitchers can pick up here and there, and can really delay things overall. But K- Kirby to me is someone who's who's interesting in the sense I think so many pitching prospects when. You know, whether we're writing scouting reports or or reading them from other sites, so often it's amazing fastball, amazing slider, bad control. And and Kirby, to me, at least seems like he's already more or less, you know, a real pitcher who has legitimate pitch mix and he's got the control and everything. So uh, he stands out to me for that reason. Yeah, I think he's basically a finished product from a, well, not a finished product. Like, I, I think he can still get better, but I think he is on a path to have a ton of success in the majors as a starting pitcher. The only question to me is durability. Uh, He threw 67 and two thirds innings last year. He was regularly getting about seven days of rest in between starts. Like as you mentioned, he, um, he missed three weeks in May. Uh, He missed four weeks in July. It just he didn't stack up a full season from a, a workload durability standpoint, and so that's that's something you got to be aware of. You can't you can't think of George Kirby as a low risk 
pitcher from a health standpoint, um, especially since he added that velocity to his fastball. Uh, but if Kirby does stay healthy, I feel very, very confident that he is going to have uh, a really good run in the majors. This might be something that I'm overthinking because I'm deep in scouting report season for myself, just trying to go through as many organizations and prospects as a whole. But something with, you know, whether it's even in like redraft leagues and you're streaming these younger pitchers coming up or having someone in a dynasty league, I've gotten so sick of the the pitchers who, again, have, you know, two plus pitches, but bad control. And the early returns are a lot of three or four inning starts where walks killed them. Is, is that something when you're evaluating prospects, pitching prospects, is it a just a legit, you know, player by player basis or something I've noticed within my own analysis is that I'm starting to trend more towards pitchers who seem to be, you know, already actual pitchers and they have that control and they have that, uh, you know, four pitch mix because we're in the era of player development. And it seems like these guys can eat, whether it's through, you know, the Rapsodo cameras or everything that's going on with player development guys seem like they can increase their stuff at some point it's at least within the realm of possibility so i gave you a mouthful there but the idea of you know kind of your pitching prospects whether they're just throwers or these more a little bit uh refined guys is do you place a difference on on those two archetypes at all uh i think i'm pretty willing to go case by case uh, for instance I really like Tanner Houck and I really like Luis Heal. And those are both two fastball slider guys with questionable command. I just think that the fastball slider combo that Houck and Heal have are good enough that they don't necessarily need a reliable third pitch. And I think that you like the upside is high enough from a, a strikeout standpoint that I'm just going to kind of hope that they improve their command uh, in the coming years. Uh, but I also, like, I really like uh, Landon Mack with the Dodgers, who is a four-pitch command control guy who, you know, he might have a, a plus pitch or two, but he definitely doesn't have a 70-grade pitch. It's, it's really about sequencing and um, everything playing off each other. Uh, Caleb Killian's another guy. Um, where maybe he does have a, a plus pitch or two, but it, it's really the command that brings all four pitches together. So uh, I'm I'm willing to, you know, be into all kinds of different pitchers as long as the tools sort of add up in my head. Like I, I think, obviously, if you're uh, a step below a, a Tanner Houck or a Louis Hill or like a Matt Brash from a stuff standpoint, I am not going to be that into you. But um, I'm willing to kind of look at all different types of pitchers and sort of evaluate individually. For sure. And I think the thing comes back to for me that I'm trying to remind myself of at all times is, you know, maybe 20 years ago, it was more you needed pitching prospects uh, who had the stuff initially and then could can work on the pitchability and the control and, and things like that. And again, nowadays, I, I just don't want to discount. I've seen it too many times now where I've kind of written off a prospect or a player for not having a huge ceiling and then, just because of the technology that's in the game with player development, they've they've made a huge jump. So it's something that I don't want to be discounting. I think when we were talking about, you know, Forrest Whitley and Mackenzie Gore, you know, pitchers who really, really dominated in the lower levels of the minors and then 
had issues as they moved up. I don't think this guy, I don't have any reason necessarily to think that this guy is going to have those issues, but just the idea of someone dominating at such a low level and us getting ahead of ourselves. I think Daniel Espino of the guardians comes up as a name who's someone we should possibly be red flagging in the sense everyone loves him, but again, he's only pitched up to high A. Yeah. You know, I think, um, there's sort of a collection of four ace, four like guys with ace potential to me, um, who are over a year away. And Daniel Spino kind of leads that group just because I think he, if he stays perfectly healthy, he, uh, probably debuts early in 2023. Um, but, you know, I think you, you're very, um, correct in bringing up. Forrest Whitley bringing up Mackenzie Gore. Uh, and those guys had, I think, probably more acclaim and and uh, buy-in um, at the same stage as, as Espino's had. And we've seen how those things have kind of played out. Um, you know, he, he has a big-time slider, uh, big-time fastball, and he um, throws a lot of strikes for a guy with his level of sort of electric electric stuff but yeah i think i mean the risk is obviously off the charts it's just a matter of um do you want to cash him out now and kind of get a top 75 prospect back do you want to just kind of roll the dice and hope that he has success at double a and then maybe you could trade him for a top 50 prospect like it's just when do you want to eventually just sort of cash your chips in with him um or do you want to just ride it out till the end i think there's it's up to it's up to each individual fantasy baseball manager to kind of make that call uh team contacts probably should play a role in that but um you know it's it's fun to dream on these guys but it's definitely not a a sure thing yeah and it's so it's so intoxicating the the way you can you know watch some of his you know highlights and and just like see his you know delivery and it looks so repeatable and the stuff is so electric to to quantify it a bit he had a 40 and a half strikeout rate which among minor league pitchers who threw at least 90 innings led everyone slightly edging out Grayson Rodriguez and and yeah it's just you can go down the YouTube rabbit hole and and see what he's been doing and just say like oh this is gonna so easily continue but as we've been discussing you know pitching prospects especially at the younger at the lower levels carry so much risk and in that sense I think it comes down to you know understanding your league as well and understanding, you know, is someone willing to already treat this guy like one of the top guys? Or if nobody in your league, you know, is really, if everyone else thinks the same way that some of us do about pitching prospects in the lower levels, then in that case, it might make more sense just just to hold on to him and, and kind of let the value rise. Yeah, and I think you also got to factor in uh, how good are you individually at picking up uh, good pitching prospects in season because for me that's that's been a strength um, so I'm very willing to trade a pitching prospect kind of near the peak of their value and then just try to pick up the next guy and just kind of you know keep that cycle moving for the most part obviously you're not going to trade everyone sometimes you're going to really fall in love with a guy and, and watch him go all the way to the majors and see how it plays out but um Pitching prospects, it's it's much easier to pick up 
a top 100 pitching prospect off waivers than it is a hitting prospect. And so I think you got to keep that in mind as well. When it comes to, if we separate this into two categories, so we have our macro level view of pitching prospects as a whole, and then we kind of get into our micro level takes. And again, that's where it can get dangerous because you can, like you said, fall in love with the player and it can create a bit of a blind spot to that macro level strategy you wanted to approach it with. And, and one blind spot for me that I've developed this offseason is Yuri Perez of the Marlins because, I mean, my God, he just checks every red flag in the sense that he was only 18 years old this past season. Uh, he's 6'8". He dominated in the lower minors. And I think when people hear and read about and see that this guy is so young and he's already made it to high A and they just put him on this path that's this linear path that he's going to keep getting better and better because he was so good at such a young age and the the biggest thing that we've learned you know throughout that i've learned throughout prospect analysis is just like that path isn't always it's by no means always linear it doesn't even always keep going up as we've discussed with a lot of these guys so yuri perez to me is someone who i i really like and depending on how casual of a dynasty league you play in, he might not be thought of as highly, but, but again, if, if you're playing with people who really know what they're doing, then this name is going to be known. Yeah. I think he's probably the the poster child of just the, he's the sort of pitching prospect that you can dream on and who will probably break your heart. You know, I think <laughs> that that's like the, it's so easy to get seduced by, Yuri Perez, uh, just with his size and his fastball and just how effortless it all is and his success at such a young age, um, in, in full season ball. But, uh, you know, we've, we've seen this before. I mean, you know, every now and then you get a, you get an ace, but, uh, there's a, there's a chance that this is going to be the high point of his value. Um, there's a chance that the high point of his value comes in like August of this year, maybe the high point of his value comes in June of next year. Uh, maybe he just goes all the way to the majors, stays healthy, has an awesome run as an ace for a long time. Uh, but just really, really impressive to watch him. Is there any other, you know, overall pitching prospect strategies or maybe a particular pitcher who we didn't discuss yet today that, that is someone who you've uh, identified, or again, a strategy that you've identified, something that we haven't uh, yet mentioned that you're trying to employ moving forward? I mean, I can just tell you, like, the way that I get my pitching prospects in Dynasty Leagues is I'll take them in the first-year player draft, you know, kind of in the 15 to 25 range. Um, so like late first round, second round, I'm, I'm very willing to take pitching prospects starting there. And I've had success doing that, getting, you know, guys like George Kirby, um, guys like Alec Manoa, uh, you know, that's like this year I've been taking Gavin Williams in that range. Um, I think that that's a viable way to go about it and then just pick them up off waivers. Uh, you can get guys like Taj Bradley off waivers uh even Aaron Ashby um you know I think he was he was a guy you could have gotten off waivers uh there's there's always going to be guys like that Matt Brash Brandon Williamson with the Mariners um so just be paying attention um that's 
that's how you should be picking up your pitching prospects. You should not be trading for these guys once they're top 50 prospects. That's just, that's bad business. You should try to pick them up before they get into that realm. We've been talking again with James Anderson, who's on Twitter at real J.R. Anderson. He's the lead prospect analyst over at Rotowire. And if, if you do really want someone who's going to, you know, go out on a limb and isn't going to be afraid to say what they really think, despite what, you know, other rankings might be, James is your guy for that. You really do great work over there, James. I just want to thank you for coming on and just sharing some insights as to how to approach pitching in dynasty leagues as we're all trying to make trades to keep ourselves busy with the lockout going on yeah thanks so much for having me brendan